Well, back in September, I mentioned that there are a few annual can't-miss services for me. But as someone who's spent the last 20 years planning weekend services, well, I've got to admit that there are also some services every year that feel a lot more like can't figure out what to do with them. Like in the dog days of August when everyone's camping. Or the Sunday that falls between Christmas and New Year's. Now, some years we've canceled this service altogether, and in others we've been blessed with a year-end blizzard or lockdown. Last year, this Sunday fell on January 1st, so we gave everyone the morning off to sleep off our collective Auld Lang sign and gathered as one church in the evening instead to ring in the new year together. Now, January 1st services are easy to plan. There's something obvious about celebrating the fresh start of a new year. I mean, especially in how it reinforces the idea of rebirth associated with our faith. And we love starts and beginnings, whether it's a wedding, the birth of a child, the grand opening of a business, our first tooth, first word, first step, first day of school, first kiss, first love, first job, first apartment. I mean, we love firsts, but we generally don't have the same kind of enthusiasm for lasts. Now, with that in mind, I wanna share with you an unlikely pearl of wisdom from the Old Testament book, of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says, it is better to go to a funeral than a birthday party. Uh, or as one translation says, it's better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth, because that is everyone's destiny, and the living should take it to heart. Endings are better than beginnings. You know, as we come to the end of 2023, I want to spend a few moments talking about endings. And to help us, we're going to look at the story of a guy named Asa, one of the Old Testament kings. Now, like many of the ancient Jewish kings, uh, the life story of Asa is recounted twice in the Old Testament. First, in the Book of Kings, obvious, uh, and then in the Book of Chronicles. Now, it may seem odd that the Bible tells Israel's history twice, but this is more than just cut-and-paste repetition. Now, though Kings and Chronicles tell essentially the same stories, they do so from two very distinct perspectives. The book of Kings recounts Israel's history from more of a political perspective, you know, how the wisdom or folly of its leaders shaped Israel's destiny. While Chronicles, which was written much later, tells those same stories from more of a priestly perspective, how Israel's story was shaped by their spiritual condition. Now, interestingly, the earliest known title given to the book of Chronicles was The Things Left Behind not to be confused with the Left Behind series of the 1990s. Now, we don't know why the name was changed, but can we at least agree that The Things Left Behind is a way better book title than First and Second Chronicles? Now, scholars have a few theories about why it was originally given this name, but I think the best theory is that in this retelling, the author, who was most likely Ezra the priest, felt that some critical details had been left behind by the writer of the Book of Kings. In his view, there was a missing perspective, some, some important spiritual lessons that had been omitted. And, and this isn't unusual. I mean, when we tell our own stories or reflect on our own lives, as we might be inclined to do tonight, we often focus on superficial things like big wins, accolades and accomplishments, and worldly success. Well, the more important things, like the condition of our heart, or whether our interior life reflects a deep trust in God, can it end up on the pile of things left behind? Well, the book of Chronicles looks past its characters, highlight real reputations, 
to reveal the behind the scenes reality. And nowhere is this more true than in the life story of King Asa. Now in both books, Kings and Chronicles, Asa's story begins with a positive report about the kind of king he was, saying that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. This is the Bible's gold star for kings. I mean, politically, Asa was a wise and moral leader who cleaned house in Judah, exposing corruption. He tore down idols and even removed his own grandmother from her position as queen mother because she was a very wicked person. You know, as a military tactician, he brokered a peace deal with the king of Damascus that ended years of hostility and war between Judah and Israel. Asa was a good king who reigned in Judah for 41 years until he died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. End scene, raise a glass, roll the credits, but not so fast. See, in this telling of Asa's story, there's some things that have been left behind. Now, turning over to Chronicles, uh, we're given some additional insight into Asa's early life. In chapter 14, all of Judah is under attack by the nation of Cush, which is modern-day Ethiopia. And, and although Asa was able to assemble an army of more than half a million soldiers, they were outnumbered two to one. And faced with overwhelming odds and almost certain defeat, Asa cries out to God for help. In verse 11, he says, Oh God, you aren't impressed by numbers or intimidated by a show of force once you decide to help. So help us, oh God. We've come out to meet this huge army because we trust in you and who you are. Don't let mere mortals stand against you. See, Asa was more than just a great commander-in-chief. He was a spiritual leader who trusted God completely and was willing to bet his own life on the belief that Faith in God was all Judah needed to stand firm and fearless in the face of their enemies. And so in verse 12, it says, God defeated the Cushites before Asa and Judah, and the Cushites ran for their lives. You know, I wonder how many of us, when surrounded by overwhelming opposition, truly trust that God is all we need to make it through. You know, not impressed or intimidated into trusting our own strength and strategies to fight our way through. Is our instinct to lean even harder into the all-sufficient power and presence of Christ? To make Jesus our peace plan? Because that's the kind of King Asa was. And not just in times of great distress, on the heels of this epic victory, a local prophet named Azariah encourages King Asa to lead the entire nation in spiritual revival, saying, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek God, God will be found by you. But if you forsake God, God will forsake you. Now, Asa takes the prophet's words to heart and immediately enacts all kinds of spiritual reforms all throughout Judah. He calls the entire nation to the temple in Jerusalem, where we're told that they took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. And they sought God eagerly, and God was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Has there ever been a time in your life when you dedicated your life to God? You know, maybe you took an oath, walked an aisle, said a prayer, or made a public declaration through the waters of baptism. And you dove in, both feet head first, 
You searched for God wholeheartedly and God was found by you. You know, in the book of Chronicles, it's clear that Asa's early success was based more than just on his charm or wisdom or, or skill. The peace and shalom that he brought to Judah flowed directly out of a deep commitment to God. See, Asa had not just been a good king, he'd been a godly one. Sadly though, as we continue, we find still more things left behind in his story. In my Bible, the heading at the top of chapter 16 reads Asa's last years, sort of an epilogue. And although his legacy was already firmly cemented during the first 35 years of his reign, and he was already like a legend in his own lifetime, the final years of Asa's life reveal the kind of collapse normally reserved for Leafs fans in the first round of the playoffs. We read, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Judah and Israel were sister nations who, like squabbling siblings, were at constant war. And a siege would have meant hunger, poverty, and even death for the people of Judah. It was Israel's way of starving them into surrender. But Asa had no intentions of giving up. He had a plan. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadid, king of Aram, who's ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadid agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. King Asa takes action to secure Judah's safety, but this time he doesn't cry out to God in prayer and he doesn't invite all of Judah to reaffirm their oath to the Lord. Instead, he bribes a foreign power to attack Israel on his behalf with money taken from the temple treasury. He purchases military protection with a hard-earned trust that Judah had placed in God. The same God who'd fought their battles for them, promised to be with them, and for 35 years gave them peace on all sides. And the plan worked. The king of Aram took the bribe, attacked Israel, and brought an end to their siege on Judah. However, the cunning military strategist Asa had secured Judah's safety in a deal that proved to be strategically brilliant. But as strategically brilliant as it was, that was a spiritual blunder. And so Asa is visited by yet another prophet, Hanani, who confronts him saying, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. We're not the Cushites and Libyans, a mighty army with great numbers and chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to God. You've done a foolish thing, Asa, and from now on you will be at war. Judah had known peace for 35 years because Asa had trusted in God wholeheartedly and eagerly. But something had shifted in Asa. And perhaps years of peace uh, had allowed complacency to set in, you know, the kind that slowly develops when we aren't being vigilant 
continuously and consciously making the active choice to trust God. Or perhaps it was the kind of hubris and pride that takes over when we start to take credit for the good work God has done. Whatever the reason, Asa was convinced he could manage on his own. And frankly, by all external measures, he was right. Yet despite the appearance of success, something was left behind that day. I mean, do you remember the words of the first prophet, Azariah? He said, if you seek God, God will be found by you. But if you forsake him, God will forsake you. Well, from that moment on, Esau lost God's support. It's so frustrating because it didn't have to go that way. I mean, Hanani reveals that God's eyes are scanning the horizon, eager to throw the full treasury of heaven's support at anyone whose heart will be fully and completely devoted to God. I mean, aspirationally, this has been my life verse. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's how I learned it. And the full weight and investment of heaven is waiting to be poured out on all those who will go all in on Jesus, to prioritize God's heavenly kingdom rather than our own personal empires, you know, to break our alliances with this world and instead give our full allegiance to Jesus. I want to be that person, to have a heart that fully devoted, and I can't imagine anything more compelling. But Asa, he doesn't respond to Hanani the way he had years earlier to Azariah. Instead, he gets angry, he throws Hanani in prison, and he starts to oppress the people of Judah. Now, you won't read about that in the book of Kings. It's among the things left behind in Asa's story. You know, Asa, the great king who's Life started so strong, who did what was good and right in the eyes of God and saw God's unbridled power and faithfulness, but whose story ends in spiritual tragedy. Because the thing that Asa left behind was total trust in and full devotion to God. You know, there's one final deleted scene at the very end of Asa's life. In verse 12, we read, that in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Theologians suggest that the inclusion of the story of Asa's diseased feet is meant as an ironic commentary on his inability to stand firm in his faith. Now, some have taken a verse like this to mean that if you're sick, faith is all you need to be healed, and that simply isn't true. I mean, if you are currently experiencing illness, whether that's physical, mental, or emotional, it is not faithless to trust your doctor's medical advice. Science is not at odds with faith. The issue here isn't that Asa trusted his doctors, but that he didn't trust God, even when things were dire. A friend of mine is in the hospital right now and he's in rough shape. I mean, he doesn't believe that he'll recover and that has him thinking. In fact, when I visited him last, he said, I hope God gives me enough time to repent for all the things I've done wrong. And I think that's a fairly common and very understandable reflection when we come to the end of our lives. But even the shadow of death couldn't convince Asa to turn his heart back to God. What a tragic ending to such an epic life. You know, today we began by looking at the idea that endings are better than beginnings, which wasn't particularly true for Asa. But what about us? As we come to the end, 
of another year. And as we consider the direction that our life is headed, what kind of ending are we writing for ourselves? Will our devotion to Jesus burn bright for a season and then slowly flicker and fade? Are we like the story that Jesus told about the seed that was planted and immediately sprung up, but in time was choked out by the cares of this world? Will we be like Asa who started strong but fizzled out? And maybe as you contemplate where you're at at the end of 2023, this kind of describes you. But what would it look like for you to dig deep and resolve to once again give your heart unreservedly and unwaveringly to the God who, as we celebrated just last Sunday, has been finally and fully revealed in Jesus? See, because of Jesus, the start of a new year can be a fresh start. But don't let it just be another false start like so many New Year's resolutions. See, life with Jesus is meant to be more than just first steps taken over and over again. Jesus came to give life to the full. He wants to do more than just get us started. He wants to see us through to the very end, to experience the fullness of the life we were created for. You know, back at the beginning of 2023, we were working our way through the book of Philippians as a church. And the Apostle Paul begins that letter by reminding us that the God who began a good work in you and in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, if you're here and in need of a fresh start, I've got good news for you. Jesus wants to cleanse you of your past, heal your hurts, and set you on a brand new path. But I want you to know up front that this isn't a one-off transaction. Jesus wants to be with you for the long haul, to finish the work he begins in you and me, and to fully realize the reason for that fresh start until the day when this life comes to an end and God looks each of us in the eye and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, if I had one prayer for each of us at the end of 2023, it would be for stamina in our faith, for endurance and perseverance in the face of all the challenges and struggles we face. And ultimately, to not let fully trusting in and being fully devoted to Jesus, end up among the things left behind. So as I bring this talk to an end, as the band comes forward to lead us in our final song of 2023, as we prepare to ring out the old year, instead of closing in prayer, I wanna end our time with the ending that the Holy Spirit inspired for the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And as I read these words, I want you to hear the invitation of Jesus to give ourselves fully to the one who is the beginning and the end and the final amen on all things. In Revelation 22, it says, Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.